Um, I want to begin just by thinking about um, our attitudes. Uh, it's probably true that uh, attitude is one of the most important things in our life. Uh, I think that attitude is probably more important than what's gone on in our past. It's probably more important than education and money or circumstance and failure. It's more important than your appearance or your skills or your gifts or anything else. Attitude can make or break a company. Attitude can make or break a friendship. Attitude can make or break a home. Uh, we can't change our past or the fact that people will act in a certain way or that inevitable things will happen in our lives. But one thing we can change is our attitude towards it all. How we approach uh, life. Life is about 10% what happens to me. So stuff happens all through our lives. Stuff happens to us. Different things. We get sick. We, 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 we celebrate certain things. We find grief at certain things. All through life, stuff happens to us. That's about 10% of our life. 90% of how that is worked out depends upon our attitude to it. How we respond to life's circumstances. My, my wife and I teach a, a parenting course. And um, it's uh, not, we don't just teach it here. It's, it's uh, uh, well, we don't just teach Lots of people teach it. It's going all over the, the country and it's, it's in eight different nations. And, and one of the things that, that um, uh, we know is that when raising a child, um, uh, circumstances happen to that child's life that shape that child's life. But more important than the circumstances that happen is how a parent will encourage the child to respond to those circumstances. In other words, it's all to do with their attitude. So um, uh, you'll see sometimes different attitudes between uh, a father and a mother. So I... Um, uh, uh, actually, there's, there's not much difference between my wife and I, actually. But, but we, we, I, I remember seeing so often our children running along and going flat on their faces. You know, children do that, don't they? I don't know why, but they do that. They do it at great regularity. They do it on the sports pitch. They do it, they do it everywhere. It's like there's, there's not something quite right about, you know, until they've grown a bit bigger. It's that centrifugal force or whatever's going on. You know, they, they go over. And some parents run over and pick them up and go, oh, darling, darling, darling. And after a while, you'll notice that most parents go, get up, dust yourself off, and run a bit further. It's attitude. And you know what happens? That shapes a child's life. Because actually, in life, you're going to hit rough and tumble. And in life, we need to learn to stand up again, dust ourselves down, and keep going forward. It's all to do with attitude. Attitude is such a powerful force in life. There's a simple saying, isn't there? Is your glass, are you a half empty or a half full glass person? How, what's your approach to life? How you respond to that uh, tells an awful lot about uh, your character. It, it reveals a fundamental attitude about the person answering the question. 
Attitude is such a powerful force. People who fail in life, but who have a really positive attitude, will dust themselves down, pick themselves up, and move on. And I want to, this evening, we're, the passage we're looking at is, is um, from Luke chapter 6, and, and it's a passage about the B attitudes. Jesus teaching to say, this is what your attitude should be. This is how we're to approach life. And I want to, um, uh, before looking at the passage very briefly, I want to illustrate different people's attitudes. And I'm going to do it through uh, telling the story of some different people's lives that I've met in the last couple of weeks. And these are people that I've met in Uganda. So um, let me tell you their story, and then you'll see why at the end, because I think their attitude changed everything. So if we go to the first slide up. Uh, The first slide is of um, uh, a most amazing woman called... Mother Jane, she's going to come up in a second. She's just hiding. She's obviously a bit shy. Here she is. This is Jane. Um, Jane is uh, a most amazing person, and she has given her life over to going around to different communities in Uganda and uh, working through the local church to um, uh, explain about different attitudes. And she tells story after story after story. That's all she does. She tells stories. But actually, if you look in the Bible, that's all Jesus did as well. <laughs> he went around telling stories. And Jane goes and tells stories. And, and, and she goes to a community that's divided. And she tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And she says, interestingly, in the story of the Good Samaritan, those who should have been on the side of the person who was robbed and left for dead, passed, the, passed him by. And the help came from the enemy, from the hated, it says, from the Samaritan, from the one who didn't engage with or like the Jews. And she tells the story of communities coming together. But, but what she does in doing that is is gather a community to work together and to think together. Uh, What I saw when I was out there is what I would call um, uh, sustainable aid. It's the first time I've ever seen it, um, working through the local church. And and Mike used some of these stories last week, and I was fascinated that he did, because I'd used them in the morning service as well. But uh, Jane tells the story of the widow uh, from uh, uh, 2 Kings 4. And she tells the story, and, and, and you'll remember the story of the widow whose uh, her sons were going to be taken off her. She was, her husband had died, left her in debt. Her sons were going to be, ta- be taken off her as slaves. She was then going to be herself reduced to slavery and have nothing to, to uh, live on, losing, having lost her husband, also losing her sons. And she comes to Elisha and she says, Life's just not working. I, I need your help. And uh, he says, well, what have you got in the house? And she says, well, nothing. I've got nothing. Haven't you heard? We're in such debt. We've got nothing left. And many, many of the people in the villages in Uganda, where I went to, 
you would ask them the question um, and you would say, what do you have? And they would say, well, we used to say we had nothing. We had nothing. And Jane would tell the story and she'd say, why did that widow say she had nothing except a little oil in the end? I've got a little bit of oil. And, and Elisha said, that'll do. That'll do. And he takes the little bit of oil and he says, go and find some pots and with that little bit of oil, you'll fill some pots. And that will give you enough to sell the oil to redeem your sons and to pay back the debts. Okay, let me show you some stories of people who that's happened to. Next slide. Um, okay, this is, this is the sort of uh, everyday picture you get in Uganda. These are the guys that are running around and... Um, uh, enjoying life. If we go to the next slide. This is a, a hand-dug well. This is where they drink from. Uh, they get their drinking water and they wash their clothes. And uh, whilst we were there, uh, some pigs came and drank from it as well. And you realize that they're getting sick out there for the reason that they've got this sort of uh, water uh, well, they, they dig it by hand. The water level's quite high, and so it fills itself up uh, quite quickly. Okay, next slide. Um, and so this community um, have put in a... Uh, uh, they've dug for themselves a, um, a, a water pump. Uh, if you uh, do a survey of uh, the number of water pumps that have been put in, in uh, particularly in Kenya, but it's probably true throughout by wonderful organizations that have bought water pumps for people and invest, put them in villages and people have flown out and dug them and, and put them in, you'll find that 85% of them are now not working. That's, that's not a guess, that's a fact. And the reason that 85% of them are not working is because we've gone out, we've put them in, and those in the village, when they stop working, have got no way of getting the spares for them They've got no idea of how they work. And so they very simply go back to their hand-dug well and they continue to live uh, in that place of uh, finding themselves being ill again. This community, um, uh, when Jane went first into this community, they said uh, they do a process called PEP, P-E-P, Participatory Evaluation Process, they call it. So they all participate. They all gather together. The whole village has to come together. Participation. It's about not considering anybody an enemy. We all work as one. And um, they come in and they say, what's our greatest need? Our greatest need is that everybody's getting sick because of the water. They know it's the problem. Well, what can we do about it? Well, we can't do anything about it. We need to wait for one of those aid agencies to come in and give us a well. They give us a hand pump. They say, well, why can't we do anything about it? Why can't we dig the well? Why can't we fit the hand pump? And so the whole village comes together and this is what they fitted. They did a, a, a hand pump. Can we go to the next slide? Um, and then the next one. Uh, there's some guys enjoying it. And the next one. Uh, this is uh, another way. If they've, uh, This is the water taken from the, the um, uh, hand-dug well that we, I showed you. And you can see the color of the water, hey? So this is one that they've put in. This is a, a man-made filter system. It's... They then put this water in. There aren't many of these out there, but they've learned to build them. And they filter them through sand. And if we go to the next image, 
There it is coming out at the bottom. And if you go to the next image, there it is. Isn't that amazing? So through a sand filter that they themselves have built, they're getting pure water. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And it's not because of any aid that we are giving them. It's all because of a change of attitude. It's, it's an attitude that says, we've got something. We've got a little oil. Actually, we've got fertile ground. Actually, we've got hands that we can use to dig a well. Actually, we've got time that we can invest in it to make it work. We've got all of these things. Let's go to the next slide. Um, uh, here's a school. Um, this school that we went to see, this is two weeks old, this school. Um, a guy got educated and um, uh, his parents were able to pay for him to go to schooling. He left the village, went off to the city, uh, got a, um, a diploma in education and was employed in Entebbe uh, to, as a teacher in a school. And then he asked himself the question, and we had a lovely time talking to him. He said, um, I asked myself the question, why am I here when my family and my neighbors back home uh, don't have any uh, education. They have no opportunity to educate their children. So he left the city, went back home. If we go to the next slide, um, uh, he started the school. Uh, this is the head teacher in uh, the black jacket here with the red shirt on. Uh, this guy here, um, that's the Archbishop uh, Simon Peter. He traveled with us for the week. And the school is behind. As you can see, it's not fully built yet. There's still um, a little bit of roofing to do. But if we go to the next slide, um, there's a classroom uh, that they built. Um, they put the classroom up. The whole community came together. They built the classroom. And um, uh, uh, you can see the seats there. They sit on the logs. Um, that's the, uh, how they do it all. And um, they've um, uh, got 30 children in that school straight away. And uh, the whole community's come together and said, our greatest need is the need for education. What have we got? We've got nothing. Oh, we've got somebody in our community who can actually teach our children. Actually, uh, they found about six teachers. So they have six. They've got 30 children with six different classes. Now, that's the teacher-to-pupil ratio that we'd long for, isn't it? They've got six, six different classes with 30 children. And um, uh, they split them up into six classes in that classroom. There's six classes in that classroom. If we go to the next photo, there's all the teachers um, with the uh, head uh, there who oversees it. And um, behind, that's the staff room. They were very proud of that. I made a real mistake, so I was taking photographs. And um, uh, that was just in the distance. And I looked at it, and I thought, oh, there's the toilet. I took a photograph of it. I said, it's great that you built a toilet. He said, that's our staff room. He was very offended by it. Wrong thing to say at the wrong moment. I often put my foot in it in that way. Um, uh, next slide. Okay, this lady, um, uh, we prayed for her. Um, her husband actually went and heard the teaching about Pep and uh, came home and told his wife and, and said, you know, uh, what we've been encouraged to do is take the little that we have and to um, uh, uh, use it and through it, uh, through a different attitude, we can change our lives. And told the story of the, the uh, feeding of the 5,000 and that the disciples took the little boy's packed lunch and they said, well, this little fellow's got a packed lunch, but what good's that? And the husband apparently said, what good's that? You know, we've got nothing. And she said, no, we have. We've got stuff. 
we can do stuff. And he said, no. She said, I've always wanted to build a house for our family. And um, he said, well, it's impossible. These are her words, not mine. And she said, no, it's not. And she uh, got some rice and she started planting it. And uh, this woman physically built that house brick by brick. That's making the bricks and building it. And we said to her, what part did your husband play in that? And she said, I allowed him to put the last brick in place. If we go to the next slide, there's her rice seeds. She said, this is what I got in my hands. This is what's come out of it. And not only that, she's now got rice fields and cassava fields that she plants and uh, uh, harvests and she employs others in the community. So her seeing what little she had and putting into place, no, no aid from the West, enables her to have an income, her children to have an education, and enables others to be employed and have an income and therefore their children to have an education and therefore food to be put on the table. Okay, next slide. Um, this is one of my favorites. Um, this was a, a village um, that's uh, ancestral home and it was right by a swamp area um, and um, uh, when we were there um, one of our team hadn't put any uh, mosquito spray on. We looked at his legs later on that day. He was absolutely bitten to bits. But he said that, that what they said was that, that here, this village, this community, everybody got malaria. Their sickness was a real problem. That's all they battled with. All their lives, they battled with malaria. And then uh, uh, they discovered that actually they could take the water that was in the swamp and they could convert it into ponds. And into the ponds, they could put some fish and they could feed the fish with stuff that they got in the community. And the fish would grow. And guess what the fish eat? They eat the larvae of the mosquito. So they've got two ponds, and the ponds are in place of the swamp. The swamp's still just down the way next to it, and they're eating the larvae of the mosquito, and now the water of the swamp that caused death is now giving life. They've got fish to eat, fish to sell, and income coming in, and the whole community involved in it. If we go to the next uh, slide, and there's one of the ponds. It's most amazing. They go and catch 30 fish a day from there, and they've got two of those. Uh, going and it keeps the whole community uh, going. If you go to the next slide, um, this is another lovely lady. She was terrific. Her, um, uh, she had um, again. She heard the pep teaching. It was, uh, what have you got in your hand? And she said, well, we've got we've got nothing. And um, uh, then she said, well, well, actually, we do have. She said, we we have land, and maybe we could plant something. And their mindset, the mindset, she, she told us this, you're a lovely lady, and she said, our mindset was always we would get up in the morning and we would find food and water and everything we needed for today, and then we go to bed at night. So everything was about today. Um, she ended up actually planting an orange grove. She has 75 orange trees, and her selling of her orange, she employs 12 people in the community, and the selling of her oranges has enabled her to um, uh, buy a, uh, to build a house, employ others to build a house, actually. And this is one of her uh, nine children. It's uh, amazing, lovely. And this one was just, I think, uh, about four or five months old. Lovely little baby we had great fun with. 
Um, next slide, I can't remember. Oh, here, this is the most amazing thing. This is a farm. Uh, there's Mother Jane again. Um, this is a farm. Uh, this is a community. Uh, one community got together. They said, what's our biggest problem? This is the biggest problem is we've got a lot of people who are HIV positive in our community. And uh, uh, through, through uh, miseducation and, and, and uneducation, they uh, were leaving those people, excluding those people. Uh, uh, the local church has come through Jane and they've started teaching and they've said, actually, you've got the wrong attitude to them and they've talked about including them. And this community has said, well, what must we do for these people who've got no support and help? Um, and they said, well, we've got land. So they've started a farm. And uh, this is the farm. And on the farm lives uh, all those who are HIV positive. And there's a farm manager that runs it. And his name's Patrick. And the, 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 the community that got together, a lovely guy. And um, because it's a participatory thing, the whole community got together and made this decision. And they said, what we need is we need a manager to run this farm for us. They hadn't got the farm yet. They needed someone to run it, like create it. Patrick was the local drunk. And he said in his drunken stupor, I'll do that. They told us that story. And they said, okay. He didn't touch a drop of drink since. He's created this, and he's not got HIV. He lives there with his wife, and he says, I love these people more than I've ever loved anybody. And he himself, through this process, has enabled his children to go to school. His son, I love this, his son has gone to university, and I said to him, Patrick, he's, got, he's gone to university. What's he studying at university? Patrick said, well, I've got no idea because I can't read or write or understand anything he says. But he's given the next generation the opportunity to change things. So there's a father who's got no idea what his son has done at university, but he knows he's been to university and he's now living a professional life. It's really amazing. Um, have I got any more slides there? Oh, this is, this is on the farm. That, uh, that's a beehive. They've got loads of beehives, and they go and collect honey, because uh, honey's got uh, healing qualities, isn't it? So they eat, they eat lashings of honey. Uh, There's uh, uh, lots of bees around. Have I got any more on there? Is that the last one? Oh, here's that's, um, uh, one of the mums, um, HIV-positive mum, who's there, um, uh, who's being looked after. And, and Patrick said, anytime anybody is ill, the whole community rallies around. And uh, they're loved and cared for and uh, drugs are provided and everything else is put in place to enable this community to happen. Is that the last one, Polly? That is the last one, thank you. Uh, well, you can leave her up there uh, for now. Okay, why, why tell you those stories? Because I think it's all about attitude. Okay, now listen to the Beatitudes. God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. Can you see what these people have found? They've found the kingdom of God. They've found the thing that blesses them in that place of poverty. While we were out there, not a single person asked us for money. No one asked us for anything. They said, come and see what we've done. Come and see what we've got. Come and see 
what goes on with us. It says, God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. That's what these people had found. They'd found actually that, that even though they were hungry, they could be satisfied. He says, he says, God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. If we live a kingdom life, then we'll know God's graciousness in our lives. And in so doing, that that caused us to weep will cause us to laugh. Can we just bring the next image on the screen? This is one amazing woman I met. She has seven children. Her husband died of AIDS. She is HIV positive through her husband. And um, uh, she was living on her own, uh, trying to scratch a living out for her children, uh, unable to educate them. Uh, she described herself. She said, uh, I had no hope and no help. And then the church came along with this pep teaching. And they came along and told the stories of the widow with a little oil. And they told the stories of the, the boy with the lunchbox. And they told the stories of those who had nothing, but then discovered they had something. And um, she now is part of that farm that we've just seen. And uh, she's got her own little home. And she is able to fund, through the work that she does, the education of her children. But more than that, she's able to fund the drugs that keep her HIV under control. I've got no idea uh, if her children are HIV positive or not. But they have a testing process. And uh, now they're able to get drugs. This is somebody whose weeping and mourning was turned to dancing through the kingdom of God. So, so when, when I read this passage, it says, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. You've got nothing, but the kingdom of God is yours. If your attitude is right, if your attitude is right, and you find Christ, if you find the hope and help that comes through God, you can find everything you need within your community, within who you are, within what God gives you. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. It's a completely different picture of this text. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets in the same way. And then Jesus teaches something else. He says this, What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will be turned to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying this. He's saying, if you think that everything is about what you have now, you've missed the point. Actually, everything is about what you have in the kingdom of God, what you invest in the things of the king. If you give your all for the one and only, you will find life beyond measure, life beyond compare. And, and, and the likes of these people that I've shown you today, this is, 
This is real stories that are living, being lived out on a daily basis. This was just two weeks ago. Uh, this photo was taken, and um, she said, "She said, uh, I've, I, not only have they found um, hope and help, but they found Christ. Each and every one of them. And we went to see them, and they, they would worship and dance, and and uh, they would come and tell us how good God is, because they'd found the kingdom of God themselves." Well, that's all very well, isn't it? But you don't live in Uganda. But I want to ask, what's your attitude? What's my attitude? What's our attitude to what we've got? What have we got in our hands that we can use? What has God given us? What skills has he given you that he wants you to employ? What resources has he given you that he wants you to use? What blessings has he given you that he wants you to pass on to others you know we we have such a possibility as individuals to make a difference not just here but in everybody's lives so when you go when you go to work maybe you've got somebody in your office who uh, or in your school or in your college or in your university or in your home or wherever it might be wherever it is that you spend Monday through Friday maybe you've got somebody there who just irritates you you know, one of those lovely sandpaper people in life that shapes us a little bit more like God because <laughs> they remind us where we, where we find ourselves being struggling. You, it, you, what have you got? You've got a job. Maybe our attitude needs to change. Maybe it's to that person you need to make a cup of tea. It's to that person you need to stretch out a hand of help. It's to that person that you need to include in your friendship circle. It's to that person you want to say, you know that actually uh, we, can, we can work better together uh, if we would invest in one another. God wants us to take the kingdom of God into uh, people's lives. You'll know that the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew's Gospel as well as Luke's. And uh, in Matthew's Gospel, interestingly, it, it, Matthew's very concerned to get it in chronological order. And so in Luke's Gospel, it comes at a completely different time because Luke is more thematic in his uh, presentation and he wants it to get over that it's about a certain way of living, a certain way of life, a certain attitude to life. He wants us to live our lives with resurrection hope in our minds, to live our lives not just for the here and now but for the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you this evening, what's your attitude? Because attitude is everything. What's your attitude? What's your attitude to the circumstances that have happened to you in life? Maybe someone's come and hurt you. Maybe someone's really bruised you. Do you still live in that? Or have you sought healing for that, that you can move on beyond it? Are, are the things that have happened to you in life causing bitterness in you? Or are they making you better? Making you different for other people? Are you somebody who says, I have nothing? Do you often say that? I have nothing. We've got, I've not got enough. I've not, you know. Are you somebody who's, who has a, a mindset of, I've never quite got enough? Or have you, could you perhaps stop and think, maybe God's blessed me with an enormous amount, but I need to change the way in which I think about it. And in so doing, God's kingdom will come to your life and those that you therefore interact with is that okay it's a very different 
little thing this evening, but I think it's really important. And I think if these guys can do it with nothing, what might we do with what we have in life? Let's stand, shall we, together?